Blog Talk Radio. My hep cats and hep kittens, my blue blazer regulars and my Hong Kong cavaliers in training. This is your host and groove mistress, spiritual advisor, Madam Perry, also known as Jennifer Perry, JP. All musicians call me JP or Jen. But anyway, I'm thrilled to be here. And this is a very special night. I've had some people messaging me today about this show um, all afternoon, and I am so glad they're as excited as I am about it. People around the world, and I am thrilled to have science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction author Zigzag Claiborne right here with me in the genie bottle for this. Zigzag, welcome back to Madame Perry's salon. Thank you for having me back. Hello, hello, hello. This is a worldwide alert to all our blue blazers out there. We are going to have some fun. Oh, <laughs> and we're going to have some surprises tonight. Some of them may be even surprises to you and me. Because Those are the best kind. Oh, I know. <laughs> we'll, and we'll roll with it, honey. We will definitely roll with it. Hey, listen, um, as anybody that's tuning in that doesn't know this, if you haven't been watching all my tweets and Instagram and uh, Facebook, everything on there. Tonight is a special. Uh, when, when Zigzag Claiborne was on here about a month ago, when we were talking about his latest book, Afro Puffs Are the Antenna of the Universe, fantastic book. Um, if you like sci-fi the, um, and you like it cranked up to a, a 12, 11 or 12, that's the book for you. Afro Puffs Are the Antenna of the Universe. Uh, get that. Well, when you were here, we found out we had a shared love of the film Buckaroo Bonsai, Adventures Across the Eighth Dimension. And so we decided to have a, just to dedicate a whole night to Buckaroo Bonsai. And uh, this is it. So when did you first learn about the film and, and, and were you immediately a fan? I was immediately a fan. 1984, October is when this movie came out. And came out just a little before my birthday. And I remember going to see it with my oldest brother, and we left that theater just bouncing and whistling and ready to go see the movie again, which actually we did because that was back when you could kind of just go right back in and see movies over and over, and they wouldn't kick you out. So I think I sat <laughs> through that the first time at least two times, I want to say three, but I'm not sure about the three, but I know we went right back in to see it that good. Well, I saw it, I was at the um, Atlanta Science Fiction and Fantasy Festival they used to have. It's not in, it doesn't take place anymore, but it was uh, downtown Atlanta, and it was uh, just before it came out, because I think the, the, the event, the con was uh, Labor Day weekend, and of course the film, as you said, came out in October. So we got to see a screening of it there. That was it for me. That was it. Um, 
I was in. It had everything. It had rock and roll, science fiction, strange characters. Uh, what's not to love, right? Well, it had, and and it had so many faces that we would come to know and love afterwards. Because when I saw it, I didn't know who most of the actors in the movie were at the time. But now it's like it's a who's who of genre actors. It's just. Oh, if if you people out there haven't seen Buckaroo Banzai, please go see it, get it, buy it. What point? That's a good point. If you haven't seen it, but for anybody that has, and you're a fan, and there are, we are legion. Uh, If you feel like, if you want to call in, share the reason why you love it when you first saw it, share some of your favorite characters or bits. You are welcome to. The number is six four six seven one six nine nine two two, and. that number again, 646-716-9922. Um, it's a toll-free call in the continental U.S. I know we have listeners all over the world, uh, not just the U.S., but in the U.S. It's a toll-free call. But if you're not in the U.S. or if you can't make a call, you can always message it to me on Facebook, either through uh, the messenger for Madam Perry Salon or the one for Jennifer Maudette Perry, my personal page. Just send me a message. Uh, if you've got a question for um, ZigZag, for me, or for our special guest, we got a special surprise guest coming in who was actually one of the Hong Kong Cavaliers, one of the main characters in the show. Yes, coming here. So, um, and I'm super excited about that, too. It's like Christmas is coming early for us. <laughs> it is. And to think, we were afraid that it might not come at all this year. Yes. But yes, it is. We are having Christmas. And it's a, what, uh, if you could just quickly give a brief description of what the film is about. Oh, wow. That is, that's almost impossible because this film is about everything. I think that's one of the charms of it. It's, it's a sci-fi movie. It's a romance, it's a rock and roll film. It is everything under the sun. But in a nutshell, aliens want to destroy the earth, and it's up to Buckaroo Banzai and his team to stop them. And by destroy, I mean, they're, really they're trying to get home. So it's, 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 it's almost like one of those uh, dogs who's been lost for 50 years and they're making his way home movies, too. But in this case, it's electroids who are trying to get back to the eighth dimension. And like I said, and they don't care about what happens to the earth in the process. Mm. No, they don't. Yeah, it's, they don't care. They're slack. They're that, sloppy. You know, that famous line, which you know, I, I guess I shouldn't curse too much this early on, not my GD planet. And that's <laughs> their whole ethos. Like, hey, this is your mess to deal with. We don't care. <laughs> Listen, we just had somebody call, and then the call dropped after a few seconds. So if you're listening to us tonight, um, I forget what the, I think it was a 908 area code. But if you were the one that just called and the call dropped, please give us a call back here. Uh, Zigzag and I are a lot of fun. You know what? I I'll bet you that was John Horfin. Oh, you think? Oh, man. I Should bet you it was. Well, <laughs> now, when you say John Warfin, um, let me think about this for a second. John Warfin, he was one of the, uh, was he the overlord of the Lex- 
of the uh, electroids from outer space or the people from the eighth dimension? Yeah, he was the, the, the leader, which that always baffled me because when I first saw it, I kept trying to think of the character as different from John Lithgow, who was Emilio Lizardo, but also John, but Warfman. So it, it's, it's another one of those little weird quirks they threw in where he's playing this dual role, but you're never exactly quite sure who he is at any particular time. <laughs> That's true. Okay. And then, let's see. One of the uh, – the thing is, too, he has such an attitude. I mean, he's such a slob. He's played by – John Lithgow, and that's somebody that, you know, we didn't, probably didn't really know much about back then, back in 84, although I know he had been working, you know, all these actors had, and they've all gone, uh, kept on their careers going ever since, every single one of them, but um, he, the, the, Dr. Lazardo, the character, or, or Lord Warfin, uh what was that little expression he would say to, because uh, they really looked down their nose at earthlings, and they would have this expression he always used. Laugh while you can, monkey boy. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that alone is worth the price of admission. I know, I know. <laughs> and then, uh, and each of the characters had this weird, uh, they, they finally found out that all the, the electroids from the eighth dimension they have uh, when they are in Earth, they have the same last name. Oh no 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 no! First was, name. No, the, the same first, first name. name. You're right. All right, you go ahead and explain it. I'm not doing very good. Oh, you're doing great. It, you know that was another one of the things about this movie. Like you got John Big Booty, John Smallberry, all every one of these characters who's <laughs> named John with his little interesting last name, and it's just like, <laughs> what are the writers doing here? I love you guys. And they were played by people like uh, Christopher Lloyd was in it. Um, (laughs) It was just an insanely well-casted film. Um, And then, of course, he was, let's see, John Big Bootay, and they always call him Big Booty, Big Booty. And uh, John Big Bootay would say, Big Bootay! Hey, hey! Okay, okay. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, though, there's so many lines in this movie that after you see the movie, you're just constantly repeating them. I mean, I, my brother and I were calling each other John Big Boutet for days afterwards. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. We have somebody uh, joining us here. Hi, welcome to Madam Perry Salon, the Buckaroo Bonsai Tribute Special. And come on in. Hello there. Hi. Thanks Hello. for having me. And who is this? Uh, it's Glenn Tickle. It's great to talk to you again. Oh, my gosh. Glenn Tickle, the comedian? Glenn Tickle, the comedian, and huge Buckaroo Bonsai fan. This is my absolute favorite movie of all time. Sweet. Oh, you are instantly family with me, yes. <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. Um. Well, Glenn, I haven't talked to you in years. Uh, this is uh, Zigzag Claiborne, sci-fi and fantasy author here with me. And, yeah, and by the way, guys, just so everyone knows, yes, I am wearing my Buckaroo Bonsai jacket. It's a black satin. Well, it's probably not really satin. But um, just so you know, I am came here in the mood. <laughs> and, uh, 
Hey, listen, there's a, uh, oh, and one more person. But Lynn, I'm so glad to know that you are a Buckaroo Bonsai fanatic. And so let's see yeah. who else we can mm-hmm. squeeze here Squeeze here into the sure. genie bottle with us. Hi, welcome to Madam Perry's salon. Come on in. Take a seat. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. It's Pinky Carruthers. Pinky. Oh. Hey. Wait. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Talk about Christmas. Yes. Okay. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Zigzag. Hey, uh, you're here with my my co-host Zigzag Claiborne, who is a science fiction and fantasy author, and he was on the show about a month ago, uh, promoting his new book, Afro Pups Are the Antenna of the Universe. I, I think I think you'd like that book too. Hmm. Really okay. Nice. But and also uh, comedian Glenn Tickle just called in. He's also a film filmmaker and comedian. I haven't heard from him in years. Hello there. So, hey. And now, now we have the actual honest-to-God Pinky Carruthers. Oh, my God, Billy Vera, this is great. <laughs> hey, there is this thing. We were just starting to talk about the electroids. And uh, before the show, ZigZag and I were talking about the scene where um, where there's the one electroid that's trying to help. There's a couple of them that are trying to help Buckaroo save the uh, Earth from the from uh, Dr. Lazardo and all those big boot, all those uh, John, John Parker, John Smallberries, Big Bootay. And uh, and he's got a package, and um, and you, Pinky Carruthers, you're on the wall, and uh, this electroid John Parker says, "I'm cueing you, Zigzag." DC Buckaroo, DC Buckaroo, and I say everybody needs seed Buckaroo. Yeah, I think I'm in heaven, right? Yeah. You know, I was actually, although you never saw it in the final cut of the movie, I was on a horse. And I was I was not only on a horse, but they had me standing on the saddle. And I was scared out of my wits, so much so that I I got a a young lady to to take me for a riding lesson. Uh, before we started shooting, and when I got there, the the Wranglers, you know, the guys that handle the horses, he said, "You didn't need to do that." They said, "These are movie star horses. You cannot fall off of them. If they <laughs> if they sense you starting to drift one way or the other, they will make a move so that you don't fall." <laughs> Whoa! Wow! I had no idea they were that well trained. Apparently they are, because <laughs> I did not fall. They're, tra- they're trained better than most people. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I I do have a a, a photo, a still from the uh, from the movie where that shows me on the horse. <laughs> and oh, I wish why? I why in the world did they have you on the horse? What what? What scene was was that part of the uh, Nietzsche Buckaroo scene, or? Well, you know, I mean, it, it, the, I I found it best not to ask because there were so <laughs> many strange things that happened in that movie that I, I just uh, I just gave myself over to uh, the the wor- the Buckaroo world. Was well, that pretty much what everybody in the cast did? 
just like, okay, we're here. Let's just give ourselves over to it. It, it, it I think like that was the smart was a way to do it. it. Otherwise, you know, you you if you 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 couldn't fight it. You know, it was it was just craziness, and and you just had to assume you were in a different a different environment, a different uh, a different dimension, if you will. That's great. Glenn Pickle, did you have a comment? Did you have a question? I think that's what I love about the movie so much is there's so much going on uh, and it really feels like there's, there's this whole other world to it. The story I had heard was that uh, Earl Matt Grouch uh, had written like 30 buckaroo stories. And then when they got the green light to do the movie, they just kind of like picked one from the middle they like. So there's so much that happens before the movie and so much that happens after but we don't get to see any of it. But it, it like you feel that there's a story when you're watching it. Well, you know, they signed us up for five sequels, which yeah. never came to pass. We never got the World Crime League. <laughs> no, sad to say, no. We we were looking forward to that because everybody just had a great time on the movie. And I I have uh, some sad news. Uh, a, a little over a week ago. Uh, fellow from my band, Jerry Peterson, who plays Rug Sucker in the movie. He passed away from the COVID. Oh, I'm sorry to hear. Yeah, last Monday. Yeah. And what was his name again? Jerry Peterson. Jerry Peterson. He's the guy that played the sax solo, the iconic sax solo on uh, my song At This Moment. Oh. And he stood next to me on the stage for 41 years. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. He was a good good boy. Oh, at this moment. You know, actually, this is no joke. Zig Zag and I were singing that earlier on the phone before the show started. <laughs> oh. Well, I wish That's you would have waited until the show started. I would have got some, uh, some royalties, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, as soon as I get this show on Sirius XM, I'll make sure you get royalties Constantly. Okay. <laughs> we got more questions to ask. For gosh sake, Billy Vera, Hong Kong Cavalier, uh, Pinky Carruthers. We've got another somebody else calling in, another fan. We've got more questions to ask you about your uh, your your career as a Hong Kong Cavalier and actor. And we've got one more caller calling in. Hi, this is Madam Perry. Welcome to Buckaroo Bonsai Night at Madam Perry Salon. Who do we have here? Hey, this is Greg Casino. This is who? Greg. Greg. <laughs> hey, Zigzag. This is this, this is a friend of mine from Michigan, Greg Casino. How are you? I'm great. I, I'm looking forward to getting into Afropuffs. Uh, I just picked it up from Blackstone Books what two days ago. So excellent. I love that store. And right. for everybody <laughs> out there, Greg is about. Maybe maybe two hairs shy of being as big a Buckaroo Bonsai fan as I am. Maybe two <laughs> hairs. Right, yeah, that's Nick. that's one of the things that when Zigzag and I first met doing conventions, because I'm a fellow writer, um, that's how we know each other. Um, that was one of the things we first bonded over. So. Yeah, that's one of the questions that I ask people when I first meet them. Do you know about Buckaroo Bonsai? So, and it's that. If they don't, you know, it's, oh, okay, pleasure, nice to meet you, then I move off. But if they do, friends for life. 
Well, and and somehow Buckaroo, I mean, uh, um, Zigzag, and I found that out when he was on my show uh, recently. And also, um, and by the way, uh, stand-up comic and filmmaker Glenn Tickle is also in here, and uh, he said this is his favorite movie all. So we're going to ask since we are. Oh, oh, by the way, and one thing we're going to do, make sure before we leave tonight, everybody's got a book or something at the end of the show. We want to give a plug to everybody's product everywhere. But we want to ask uh, Billy Vera. You were a musician. You've been working as a voiceover artist and a musician, a career, and that you had a great career going. And then you started to take acting lessons. And where did you go? How did you get from there into Buckaroo Banzai, the film? Well, I, I had no... Uh I really had no thought about being an actor, you know. Uh, but the fellow that that uh, that was my songwriting mentor way, way back in the 60s was a guy named Chip Taylor. Now, Chip was a great songwriter. He wrote Wild Thing and Angel of the Morning. And he had a brother who was an actor named John Voigt. So when I moved out here to L.A., uh, and the band, and I put together a band to meet girls like everybody else, and um, <laughs> and we we were working every Monday night at midnight at the Troubadour, and one night John came in with his acting coach, a fellow named David Proval, who you might remember from Mean Streets or uh, also from The Sopranos later on, and they came in <clears throat> to to see me, and so backstage after the show. John says, you know, he says, he says, you you do something I've never seen singers do. I said, well, what's that, John? He said, you know, most singers, they they, they perform at an audience. You know, I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to make you cry. I'm going to make you feel this. I'm going to make you feel that. He said, you don't do that. He said, you just lay it out there, man, almost organically. And he said, that's what david here teaches in his class he says you you should really come and you you could be a great actor i said oh john please i'm that's not my thing i'm a rock and roll singer man and so but he, he's very persuasive <laughs> so I, I ended up going and it, it took me a while to, to to make the crossover you know but people started asking me to be in plays and then little tv shows and and then Buckaroo Bonsai, uh, uh, Rick Richter uh, came in one night to the club that we were playing at uh, and uh, said, <laughs> you know, I, I was told that that you're really good on stage as a as an improviser. He said, uh, and we were watching your show, and they were right. He said, I'd like to have you in this movie we're doing. And that's how I got in Buckaroo Bonsai. So cool. <laughs> so when I got to the set, you know, I said, uh, "Well, what do you want me to do?" He said, "Look," he said, uh, "He said I like the way you improvise." He said, "Just kind of do what you want to do, you know, with the script, and 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 then just tell me where you're going to stand so I can have the camera ready to follow you." And that was pretty much it, you know. Okay. Did you feel daunted at all? I mean, just told to just do what you want to do, basically, as long as you tell us where you're going to stand. That, that's a lot of pressure for somebody who's not used to that, that type of uh, creative endeavor. And that's a lot of trust from a director. Well, that's kind of the way I perform on stage, you know. 
as a singer, uh, you know, I I don't have everything's not set in stone. So it it kind of came naturally to me, and and uh, and I was I was surrounded by some great actors in Buckaroo Banzai, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Chris Lloyd, you know, uh, I mean, just just wonderful people that that uh, that that were just crazy 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 people who were really wanted to have fun with it, and and uh, and that's what we did, man. We just. We just rocked out, you know. <laughs> oh, speaking of rock out, I love this. I was watching the uh, the scene again on YouTube of um, right after Buckaroo's gone through the eighth dimension, driven through the mountain, and you guys have a gig that night. And when they come out on stage to start playing, you and Lewis Smith, who played Perfect Tommy, so you two guys are next to each other, and you have your choreography worked out. Was he a yeah, I guess we kind of did. Yeah. 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 It was. It's. It's really that was just your basic rock and roll, uh, rhythm and blues choreography. You know, uh, okay. if you'll notice that Jerry was doing it when he played the saxophone too up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In that scene. So was because, everybody because, in the band actually musicians? No. No. Uh, Peter. Peter, uh, we we had to teach him how to play guitar, but he went to Texas State and he could play a real good uh, mini trumpet. Uh, so he 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 could he he was familiar with music and comfortable with music, but he hadn't played guitar. So we we just had to show him a few things to make it look like he could play guitar, and he he I think he filled that role pretty well. Well done. Of course, I don't play. I'm I'm not a bass player, and and I'm in the movie. I'm a bass player. Yeah. Because Buckaroo is playing the guitar. Of course. Um, so, what was it like when you walk on and when you get to other, you meet everybody? What do you get the script? Do you do table reads? Did you meet everybody? Was that what was everybody like to get to know? Because it seems like such a fun cast. You know. I, to tell you, I mean, I, I did, when I was doing television shows, you know, we'd always do a table read, but I I, I don't have any memory of a table read uh, on Buckaroo. I, 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 that we might well have done it, we and probably did, but I don't remember it at all. Uh, so I, I have no comment on that. Okay. <laughs> Who did you meet first? But was it a friendly group? Yeah, yeah, pretty much so. I mean, there was no, there was no guys that we said, "Ew," you know. <laughs> was, I'll tell you, there was some, there was some funny goings on between Alan Barkin and, and Peter. You know, we we started to notice that every day, one or the other of them, their trailer got a little closer to the set. <laughs> so I think there might have been a little, a little. You know, ego thing between them. You know, <laughs> did you know that uh, that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was in the movie, but they, 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 you know, they had to cut out a half hour of it. Uh, yeah, to, to shorten it for, they thought it was going to be such a big hit that it would. They wanted to be able to show it more times per day in the theaters. So they they they, they literally cut a half hour out of the movie, and they cut all of Jamie Lee's. 
part out. She, she played Buckaroo's mother. Well, I remember I was saying uh, before you came in that um, I saw it at the Atlanta Sci-Fi and Fiction, uh, or excuse me, Atlanta Sci-Fi and Fantasy Festival, which was in '84 around New Year, I mean, around um, uh-huh. uh, Labor Day weekend. So it was, you know, it was advanced. We had an advanced screening, and they were showing some. The director uh, was there and was showing some slides and pictures from it, and said. Oh, and this is a slide of Buck- this is a picture of Buckaroo's parents and his mom, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, father by uh, James Salto. So we said they didn't make the film, you know, they cut out of the film. He didn't say why, but the, but they did show the photo. And well, now you know why. Yeah, I thought. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I had a, I had there was a scene that I was really sorry that they cut out from my my point of view. Uh, it was. At the end, when we're when we're all in there beating up the bad guys, and uh, and and so so uh, Rick Richter, the director, says 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 uh, you got something for me? You got you want to do that you'd like to do? I said, well, you know, we've never addressed why I'm called Pinky. And I, I said I got a kind of got an idea. Uh, he said, yeah, tell me. So I told him what I wanted to do. So I said, well, you see, when I was a little boy, I lived with my grandmother, and and I liked those pink snow cones. And so my grandmother used to call me Pinky. Well, if you if you remember, the the spacemen, they got their nourishment from sugar. And so uh-huh. when we when we when we captured them and started slapping them around, uh, you know, we had a we had a uh, check out what what was in their pockets, you know. And so this one guy, I said, "Can you get a can you get me a pink snow cone and put it in this guy's pocket after after I beat him up?" And and. And so, and th- these are stuntmen. So he said, "You, you know, you could do anything to them. They, 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 you can't, you can't hurt those guys, you know." So I, I beat this guy up pretty good, and uh, and I'm reaching in his pocket, you know, for weapons or whatever, and and out comes this pink round snow cone, and I hold it in my hand, and I start thinking about my grandmother now. The audience doesn't know this, but and then I begin to cry. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, and it was it was hilarious, you know. I, when, when they when they showed it when when they originally showed us the full movie, man, everybody was laughing when that part came out, you know. But it never got into the real movie, so I was sad to say. And you know, this is the only it. movie where that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I got a feeling just from the way you describe it that that would have had the same status as I forget the actor, but come back, Shane, come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was hoping for, you know, because you know I, I, I've been in show business my whole life. My parents were in show business, so you know I, I kind of know how to steal a scene if I want to. If you've ever mm-hmm. seen the the uh, the coming attractions, the trailer for the movie uh-huh. and, and we're all out by the dam and we're we're marching along yeah yeah 
if you notice, I do a twirl. Yeah. I do a, I, I do a James Brown twirl in there, and people always remark on that. And I did that on purpose because I wanted to steal the scene. <laughs> you and it worked. stole the scene. Yes, it did. Do you, do you know what? Uh, do you do you know what yeah, music we were watching to? What? We because yeah. they they didn't use it. The, the, they we were marching to Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. Yeah, they didn't finish oh. writing the march yet, right? Before yeah, they didn't want to. They it. probably didn't want to pay for the song. But. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, that explains. That's that much better. Yeah, I can see the vibe. I can see that vibe coming through when the way Ellen walks out with her head, you know, her head up, her chin up, and back. And those. There you go. Yeah. She was so cool in that. I went out and bought a pair of of yellow shoes, high heels, the same color. Wow. They wow. killed my feet, but I didn't care. I wanted those shoes like hers. Those were just so badass. Oh. Penny pretty. Yeah, Penny Pretty. <laughs> but it was it was it was tremendous amount of fun. Yeah, I, I do say. My favorite line from the movie is when Lithgow or was it was it Christopher Lloyd, one of them says, It's not my planet monkey boy <laughs> <laughs> yes. We were we were just talking about that before we came on air. It's like that that is the best line. It really is, is. monkey boy. Yeah. 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 Or well, all the John. Yeah. That's Christopher Lloyd. Line. Okay, one second. Christopher Lloyd. Play John <laughs> Big Boupay. All right. Right. We right. are. people already knew who he was by then. Watching it. Um, what was he like? Did he get to improvise a lot like you did? I mean, since you know, since you both had experience as actors. Well, I didn't have scenes with him. You know, uh, but he—I I got to know him, you know—and he's—he's kind of a, a a strange guy. I liked him a lot because maybe the strangeness I liked—I don't know. But he—he uh, he, uh, after the movie was over, maybe a few months later, he had a—he threw a party, and 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 somehow I got invited, you know, and uh, and he—he he didn't really talk to anybody, not because he was stuck up. He just was. I guess kind of shy, but we ended up in one of the rooms of his house, just me and him, and then he talked <laughs> you know, <laughs> to me. You know who else was like that? Um, I, I did a movie with uh, called Blind Date with uh, Kim Basinger and, and uh, oh, Bruce Willis, and and Kim was like that. You know, she she was very very shy. And she didn't talk to anybody. Uh, again, not because of being stuck up, just because she was shy. But we ended up in the makeup trailer together. Uh, and when you're alone, when I was alone with her, she was just like chatty, ch- chatty Kathy, man. You know. And so every time I was around her, she would just talk, 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 talk. But not, not in, not in large groups. So I don't know, but those are the only two people I ever knew that were really extreme in that regard. What about um, Jeff Goldblum too? Because we were just starting to get to know. In fact, I think uh, Earth Girls Are Easy was on TV today. Ah, well, oh, our, wow, that's Jeff, going back a while. Jeff and I, our trailers were next to each other, and so I, he had just 
some girl had just broken up with him, and so he was. We, we'd sit on a little stairs out, you know, in front of our trailers while we were, you know, in between takes and stuff. And uh, so we were talking about our our romantic uh, suffering. <laughs> he's a good, you know, he's a good, he's a pretty good piano player. Oh yeah. Yeah, he got he's got a band now. And they, they, I went to see him last year. They were working here in L.A. in Hollywood, and yeah, they they were good. Okay. Well, by, well, I knew that uh, uh, Peter Weller played French horn because I think I saw him one night. It was a one late night show. I don't know if it was back as far as Carson or whatever, you know, played it, that he did play around different clubs in New York at night. Um, in fact, I have in the slideshow here. That's if you listen on on the uh, Blog Talk Radio, I always have a slideshow with a show with things mm. about the guests on them, pictures of the guests, uh, like I did with you when uh, a few months ago, uh, Billy, and you're on this one too. But a picture of uh, Zigzag Claiborne here at a convention where he was signing his books, and a picture of him and Peter Weller. You know, Peter had a bar in New York, and. Indirectly, that's how I met Bruce Willis. Um, we were playing a club one night. We used to play on, I guess it was, well, I don't know what night it was, doesn't matter. But I had just seen the opening episode, the premiere episode of Moonlighting, which was the show where he got known, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, I said, boy, this guy, he's got something, you know, because all these in those days, all these actors were pretty boys. And and Bruce is a good-looking guy, but he's not a pretty boy. You know, he was a guy, a real guy. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, I'm up on stage doing our, our little act, and, uh, and and he comes up to me, and he, and he said, he said, hey, man, I saw your name out front, and I, I wanted to come in and see see you. He said, I used to be a bartender at Peter Weller's club in New York, and Peter bought 250 copies of your album and Whoa. gave them to all his it gave them to all his friends, and and and, and I, so I, I I became a fan of yours. I said, wait a minute, aren't you that guy that's on that new show with Sybil? He said, yeah. I said, dude. I said, mark my words. I said, I'm never wrong when I predict. I said, you're going to be a big star. And so he started coming to the clubs all the time. He asked if he could come up and play harmonica with us, you know. And uh, so I'd let him come up and play. And he would come to every single Billy Vera and the Beaters gig uh, until he started to get so famous that people would bug him, you know, and they wouldn't leave him alone at the table. And then he, then he stopped going out. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. That's good. It's but that's the connection between him and Peter Weller. Oh, okay, okay. See, that's how, you know, whenever, sometimes with people, like, you really hope they're as nice as you think they are, like that. Well, he is. Bruce is. Yes. And uh, let's see, who else? You know who so, else is the nicest one of them all, though? Who? Dolly Parton. Oh. She recorded a song of mine, uh, went to number one on the country charts, Called I really got the feeling, and um, I was I was at the time I hadn't had a hit in several years, and um, and so one day and I was I mean I was one of these loser musicians I was living at my mother's house man, and that and I, my 
Yeah, the phone rang, and uh, it was her assistant. And she said, uh, she said, uh, you know, uh, Dolly would like to meet the guy that wrote that wonderful song. And uh, so I was living in New York, and I, she said, you know, she gave me her, her itinerary. And the closest she was going to be playing when I wasn't working with my band was down in Maryland. <laughs> but I said, you know, this is an opportunity. Maybe she'll record one of my other songs. And uh, so I drove all the way down to Maryland. And uh, and my daughter was 12 at the time. And so I brought her with me on a daddy-daughter, you know, adventure. And and they put, a, they put us up in Dolly's trailer. She had one of those country star, you know, trailers all decked out and everything. And she oh, just man. hung out with us like we were the best of old friends. And she was telling me all this crazy That's stuff. That's worth a trip to Maryland. Huh? That's worth a trip to Maryland. You betcha, buddy. <laughs> well, she 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 pointed out these this whole row of shoes that she had with all rhinestones on them and everything. She says she says y'all see she says you see these shoes here? You know where I got them? I got them at the Goodwill, six dollars a pair. What? And, <laughs> and, and I said, wow, that's really cool. But I'm thinking, you know, she could afford to buy the whole shoe company, you know. But she said she said you know my fans. She said, they don't want to see no hippie when they come out. She says, my fans, you know, in denim and everything, she says, my fans, my fans drive tractors for a living. She said, they want to see a princess. She says, so that's what I give them, a princess. <laughs> you know? wow. And she was a riot. I mean, she was really, really funny. And, and, and every time I ran into her after that, we ended up having the, the same manager when my record was hot. So I'd see her here and there. And she was always just nicer than nice, and I mean genuinely nice, you know, not Hollywood nice. Yeah. Ah. And so, and, and so, she just took time with your daughter. Oh yeah. We. She said, "Y'all come with me." She says, uh, as she was getting ready to go up on stage, and my daughter's just chattering away, you know. And I said, "Baby, be cool." I said, "Dolly has to prepare to go on stage." And Dolly says, "Oh, please, honey." She says, "You, you, you stand right here with Dolly until I have to step out." And she had her arm around, and she just she just kept her holding her hand and everything right until the moment she stepped out from the wings, you know, oh just to God. just to be nice to my little kid, you know. Oh, what a sweetheart! Oh yeah, she was the best man. See, she could have been buying those five hundred dollar rhinestone shoes. She paid six bucks a pair and saved enough money to put money into the COVID vaccine research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what she did too. <laughs> All right, all right, um, Glenn and uh, uh, Greg. Any any other questions you have for? Uh, don't let me take up all the time, guys, because I could talk to Billy forever. Um, <laughs> I mean, you talked about standing up on the horse. Was there was there more to that that got cut, or was the like there just a reverse shot of you standing on a horse? Was there like a yeah, scene they, they just, where you're... For, for whatever reason, they I guess they didn't think the. Rev- that maybe they didn't think it was as funny as they thought it was going to be to have me standing on top of a horse, you know. I don't know. Or maybe the, you know, who knows, maybe the film didn't come out so good. Or, you never know what happens on movies. So you didn't have, like, a like a riding scene that got taken out? No, 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 no. Thank goodness. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> learn that much about how to ride a horse. <laughs> 
The horse would have covered you. But it was fun. You know, Billy, in a way, Billy, you became one of those moments in the film, like like the watermelon moment. Because I remember when I first saw it and that scene of you on the wall, I kept wondering, why is he so high up on the wall? And <laughs> yeah. they never did explain that. And now, now that I know the backstory, it's like, okay, this is this is like the watermelon scene. They they cut that part out and they just left it. Well, who knows why he's that high up on the wall? Yeah, and 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 it, you know the answer is well, it's Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know I noticed that. Go ahead. That kind of inherent strangeness is really one of the things that always attracted me to the movie. That it. It gave you this impression that sort of nothing was ever out of bounds. Nothing was too weird, and right. that made everything okay. All you know, all of it. And that was yeah. the reason they told me that they hired Jerry, you know, to be in the movie, because he's a, he, if you remember him, he's a, he's kind of a strange looking guy, you know, <laughs> and uh, it, they just wanted his his odd look. You know, to just be floating around here and there. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing was, too. I'm sorry, what? You can, the makeup and mask oh. for the electroids was incredible because you can still ID all those guys. Oh, like, yeah. Christopher Lloyd still looks like Christopher Lloyd right. with that rubber mask on. Right. Yeah, they did a great job. I'll tell you a funny moment off camera is one morning, you know, one of the one of the main producers was a, an old Brooklyn guy named uh, Sidney Beckerman, who was a, a an old rogue, a Hollywood rogue, you know, and uh, and and Peter Weller said to me one morning, he says, he says, how come come every morning? Sydney comes over to you and puts his arm around you, and he says, "I'm the star of this damn movie." He says, "Why? Why does he go over to you first? So I said, "Gee, gee, Peter, I, I have no idea." Well, I did have an idea. I knew why, because Sydney had a mistress in my apartment building, and, <laughs> and, and very often I would see him bringing her home at night. So. You know, I, I come from the world of Omerta, you know, and uh, and uh, you know my lips were sealed. So he <laughs> ever after that, Sydney always, if every time I ran into him somewhere, he treated me like I was a movie star or something. You know, <laughs> there was this restaurant in Beverly Hills, good good Italian restaurant called Cafe Roma, and and a lot of and Sydney and a lot of the old geezers from the old Hollywood days would would sit at a table there at lunchtime. And and every once in a while I'd I'd, I'd happen to run into him while I was there. I you know, I didn't go over and talk to him, but he'd always call me over. Hey, you know this kid here, Billy Verry. Now this is an actor, this kid. He's he, this is a movie star, this kid. You know, he would he built me up, you know. And and, and I, I have to assume that it had something to do with the fact that I always kept my mouth shut about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I got something silly in my background, so uh, yeah, I know that's a. There that's you cool. go. There you go. There you, you don't go. break it. No. Mm-mm. 
So uh, well, you you'll like my. I won't talk about it now, but you being Sicilian, you're gonna like my new book. Oh, tell us about it. Tell us, tell us, tell us. That's what we're gonna. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Zigzag and I called, were talking about it earlier. Yeah. It's called a dollop of toothpaste, mm-hmm. and it opens up. 20th anniversary of 9-11. And our hero, Johnny Santoro, is a guitar player who's, you know, getting up there in years, and he's got a job playing for Bonnie Raitt. And they had a gig in Austin, Texas last night, and, and Johnny ended up at the hotel with this young girl. And he's coming out of the shower, and he hears a scream, and, and he runs into the room, and on the television is uh, Shepard Smith on Fox News telling the audience that, you know, I stood here 20 years ago announcing the World Trade Center coming down, but today I have even worse news. He said the entire city of Los Angeles has been destroyed with a nuclear bomb. So that's where it starts out. Meanwhile, the phone rings. And it's Johnny's Uncle Nicky, 98-year-old Uncle Nicky, who's the head of the Sicilian Mafia in New Orleans. And he wants Johnny to come down there. And the only way Johnny's got to going down there is to bring the girl and his best his best friend, his guitar tech, Pete. And they go down there. And then I'm not going to tell you anymore, but it's a whole mafia story, and it's it's political satire and it's a love story and um and it's how uncle nicky says listen we did it in 1960 we we made john kennedy president i'm going to make a president now he said the the the, the, the country's in utter chaos and and we're going to the sicilians are going to rise again so right on that's that's the intro Right. Well, okay, so it's like called A Dollop of Toothpaste. Is that your first fiction book? Yeah, yeah. I've had two uh, nonfiction before. My re- memoir, yeah. Harlem to Hollywood, and uh, and then I, I was asked last year to write uh, a, a book about a an independent record company called Specialty Records that uh, was the home of Sam Cooke and Little Richard and a lot of those people. It's called Rip It Up, The Specialty Records Story. Okay, and the website is Billy Vera, B-I-L-L-Y-V-E-R-A dot com, BillyVera dot com. So you can see the books on here. You can order Rip It Up, the specialty record story, because you are a music historian, too. Uh, your memoir, Harlem to Hollywood, and uh, and then the new book, A Dollop of Toothpaste. Well, it's got an, that's what Zig Zagler and I were talking about, the cover of it, and we said, okay, this is going to be a, 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 an action story, and... Uh, yeah, there's some, there's there's action in there. There's something, <laughs> as they used to say in the old days, something for everyone. <laughs> something for everyone. You got. I gotta say, um, this is what you were saying earlier about, um, and and the book. You said that it's, uh, um, what is it? That there's, it's it's a nine one one, and then somebody says, but there's something even worse that happened. That that Los Angeles has been. Decimated. Okay. Yeah, the, 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 on the news, he he talks about that 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 a nuclear uh, bomb has destroyed the city of Los Angeles. Enemies unknown. Have, oh, okay. We don't All know right. who did it. All right. 
I don't want to say this like this is not funny in a way, but it, it just brought to mind um, back uh, when the Olympics were in Atlanta. I believe that was '94 or '96. I think it was '94. Uh, the Olympics were in Atlanta, Georgia, and I got a gig one night with with my jazz band playing at Underground, which was where uh, a lot of stuff was going on, and it was the most we'd ever been offered. The, That's where know, Piano uh, Red used to play. Yes, yes, exactamente. Yes. So um, my husband kept saying, "Did you have a? Did you get a contract?" I said, "No." The agent said she didn't have time to fax it and just to go. My husband goes, "You know how much you've promised the other musicians? If we don't have a contract, how are we going to pay them out of our pocket? If we don't have a contract, what if they don't pay us?" So then at the end of the gig, this guy comes to me. He goes, "Hi." I said, "Your band did a good job. You know, you did a great job. I like it, but I've got some bad news for it." And I'm thinking, "Well, great. We don't have a check." And he goes. No, no, it's not that you got a check. It's just that we had a bombing tonight in Underground. So I went, oh, oh, bombing. No, that's oh, bad, too. That's bad, too. Wow. <laughs> you know, he compare it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, don't know why it just brought me back there. Um, before we go to, um, I want to make sure that I mention BillyVera.com. You've got to check that out and the books uh, and the music on there. also want to give everybody else a chance to uh, – Plug this up, and there's also some people listening to sent messages in saying how much they love hearing you, Billy, and love listening to the show, and grateful uh, that they knew about it. One is a guy, Michael Seaslack. He says he's listening, and uh, said also to tell you and ZZ that he said hi. Also, we've got a message from um, Brazil, uh, Juliana. Oh, Brazil. For real, Juliana Ari, she had messaged me earlier saying she's waiting for the show, and she says, I love this. She says, I'm a huge fan of everybody in the movie. And she said, um, you know, Jeff and uh, Christopher Lloyd and uh, Billy Vera. And she says, I want to tell you that because she's, she's Japanese, but she lives in Brazil now, so she also speaks um, Portuguese. She said the word bonsai, a 10,000-year-old word, Similar to the expression long, uh, long live, but the expression bakaru is a Japanese word that means, uh, comes from the Japanese expression baka yaru. Any of you guys know what that means? Any no. idea? You bastard. No. <laughs> <laughs> Brazil. Brazil. She says, so hits, you know, the words, buckaroo, you bastard. She says, I hope you find this information funny and useful at the same time. So That's great. <laughs> thank you. So she says she's listening. Thank you so very much, Juliana and uh, Michael and everybody that's listening. And I want to give a plug to uh, ZZ. Let's see, I gave you BillyVera.com. Thank you for making it easy. ZZ, Zigzag Claiborne, your website is RightOnRightOn.com. Right on, right on dot com. W R I T E on, and then R I G H T on. Right on, right on dot com. Barry Way. That makes me think of Barry Way. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) Do it, baby. I I knew you would get that, Billy. Well, you know, you know, the great comedian Steve Landisberg, who when he became an actor, the world lost a great comedian. He 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 used to do a a bit about Barry White. And he would say, you know, I picture old Barry White up there in his room in the attic writing those songs, those great songs he write. And I, I picture what, what it must be like. And here's Barry going, hmm, uh, uh-huh, baby. 
Yeah, baby. <laughs> right on. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and with that voice of his, that's all he needed. So you that's bet all. your butt, boy. And that's you know, when I was producing Lou Rawls, I, 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 I had an idea. Unfortunately, it was too late because Barry, Barry White had died. But instead of the three tenors, I wanted to do the three baritones. It would be Lou Rawls, Barry White, and Isaac Hayes. And I, I, I just Ooh. thought that would be a hilarious, those big voices, you know, coming out. Oh, I don't know if the world could have handled that. You're right about that, buddy. <laughs> okay. But so I want right to give on. a quick plug to Billy's book, again, for everybody out there, A Dollop of Toothpaste, which is fiction. And I'm glad that, you know, as a fiction writer myself, I'm glad to see that you're jumping in there because it seems like you have a lot of fun with no matter what you're doing. Well, that's what it's all about, man. To me, I got into show business when I was a child just because I wanted to have fun, and and I think oh, everything yeah. should be fun. Man. Well, your well, parents that is my mind, but thank you for saying that. Yeah, buddy. Um, yeah, and, of course, Glenn Tickle. You can see Glenn, Glenn Tickle's uh, funniness on um, Bandcamp. He's got an album called Yes, Really, and he's got a film yeah, I have a special uh, on Amazon called Good Grief. Uh, if okay. you just look up my name, you can find it on there. Glenn Tickle. And by the way, I was thinking about you. Funny, I was thinking about you this morning for some reason, Glenn, about how uh, you were a school teacher, uh, what second grade or something, and you said that it's embarrassing when your students see you in public and they they say, "Mommy, mommy, that's Mr. Tickle at school." <laughs> yeah, it's a hard thing to explain when I run into parents. <laughs> oh really? All right, and uh, uh, Greg Pacini, you got something to plug, Big Daddy? Here's your moment. We're listening in Brazil. Juliana. Okay, I think he's gone. I think he's gone. So, uh, but we'll share that. And so, uh, and Zigzag Claiborne, uh, Zigzag, your career as an Afrofuturist, uh, sci-fi fantasy author is going. It's skyrocketing right now. I'm so proud of you. Why don't you write something for uh, a part for Billy in one of your books so we can have you a – know, You know, Pinky Carruthers would have fit perfectly in the Afro Puffs book. So, yeah, I think when we do another one, Pinky's in there. I might have Great. to change the name up just a little bit so they don't sue me, but, yeah, definitely. Just a little bit. So uh, if you want to know what happened uh, since we're, we were here for the Buckaroo Bonsai Night, uh, maybe we should do it again next year. We are so grateful to everybody that's listening, everybody that's been sending me messages all day about this. And uh, for gosh sake, Billy Vera, you, you are a prince among men. Uh, don't oh, forget. Don't forget what we're yeah, seeing. Yeah, it's great getting to talk to you. Yeah. Evil! Pure and simple from the eighth dimension! He's always got to get a line in there, right? And of course, you know, I never can—I I never can get enough of John Lithgow. Not for why you can, the monkey boy. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And you know, we cannot end this without saying, no matter where you go, there you is. There you is. <laughs> 
All right, guys. I think you're all wonderful. I feel like the luckiest. Zigzag, you said this felt like Christmas came early to you. I feel like the luckiest woman in the world tonight, and I do believe I am. So thank you. Um, I will be sharing. By the way, for all the guests tonight, and uh, especially Philly, Zigzag, everybody, I'm going to be sharing links to get all of your music, your books, your films, everything about you. I will share uh, on all of my Perry Salon social media as well as my personal for Jennifer Perry or Jennifer Modette Perry because I think you guys are all wonderful. Billy Vera, I, I just well, thank you for you. having me. You've always got a place it. here in Madam Perry's salon. Success with everything you do. Goodbye, and by the way, if you want my CD that you're listening to now, let me know. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.